You're listening to IT Market Buzz, sponsored by Copy Punch IT. Here's your host, Kimberly Duran. Jill Conrad's new book, Snap Selling, immediately jumped to the top of Amazon sales books. Fortune magazine named her previous book, Selling to Big Companies, as a must-read alongside classics such as How to Win Friends and Influence People. Jill loves helping entrepreneurs and professionals grow their business. Her consulting firm has worked with IBM, Microsoft, Accenture, Staples, Cox Media, Wachovia, and GE. Jill, I am so excited to have you today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. When I read your book, my brain starts shorting out because there's so much truth in it. Oh, dear. It's not supposed to short out. It's supposed to fire up. (laughs) I highly recommend it. It is a fantastic book. So we'll jump into what B2B buyers are really thinking. What are they thinking? It's an interesting thing what they're thinking because sometimes they're not thinking is what I would actually say right now. (laughs) Um, That's really true. And and the book is titled Snap Snelling, like in snap, snap, you know, make a snap decision. You know, I'm going to snap. (laughs) It's built that way on purpose. But the reality of it is corporate buyers, while we might envision them as being extraordinarily thoughtful and studious and making decisions that are based on a lot of information, they're really under so much much pressure today in these organizations that they are making snap decisions left and right in terms of if they're going to work with the salespeople or not, if they want to delete the person or continue talking to them. And and these decisions are happening sometimes in a nanosecond. And literally, they're stopping to think, spend a lot of time in my book talking about how to gain access to these people. That's their first decision is to give you a little bit of their time. And the first thing that they're thinking is, is this going to be worth my time? And they're evaluating the seller on a voicemail message or on an email message in just little teeny tiny increments. Like I believe um, ExactTarget did research on email and found that it takes the average reader 2.7 seconds to decide if they're going to continue reading the email or delete it or forward it to somebody else. 2.7 seconds. The average seller thinks, I need to do a gracious introduction. I need to say something that introduces my company up front. And the minute you do something like that, they read, oh, this isn't relevant, and they delete it, just like that. So that's what I mean when I say that they're not thinking. They are making lightning brick decisions at the front end of the sales cycle in terms of if they are going to read this or not read it, listen to this person or not listen to this person. Can you tell us about four factors of the SNAP title, Simple, Invaluable, Aligned, and Priority? Yes. What I discovered, interestingly enough, in in terms of working with buyers and studying what was going on in their heads, because I believe that from a sales perspective, once you understand what your buyer is really thinking or how they're processing information, that you can change your message to be more effective. But what I really found is that there are a couple things that they were listening for at all times in every interaction with a seller. And the first thing they're always checking out is, is this aligned? And that's the A. Is it aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, Corporate decision makers today are crazy busy. They don't have time for something if it's not aligned with what they're expected to accomplish. And so a seller's job is to ensure that they understand what these people for the most part, uh, you know, are, are, you know, if you're looking at a VP of marketing, what are the roles and responsibilities of this person? What is he or she expected to accomplish? So you need to always make sure you're aligned because if you're not, snap, you're gone. You know, they just go, nope, doesn't work. But the second thing they're, they're thinking is, is it a priority? 
And the reality of it is, if it's not a priority to them right now, even if it is aligned with what they're trying to accomplish, they won't take action because they have so many things that they have to do. I mean, I often see them in my mind as plate spinners, a million poles and all these <laughs> plates that are wobbling on the top. And, and their whole life is, is to keep those poles going and so those plates yeah. don't fall off. And that's what the P stands for is that priority because if it's not a priority, they'll, they don't need to deal with it right now. But the other two are new ones, and I think uh, people aren't aware of this. The... Decision maker today is very much looking for, how can I say this? The decision maker today really doesn't care so much about your product or service because they feel that they can get a comparable offering from somebody else. When they go on the Internet, they can find a gazillion companies that sell what we do. Now, we may think that we're unique, but they don't, and they, you know, they, they think, well, you think you're unique, but you're really not. You are like everybody else, and so what they're looking for is a differentiator is the seller. Does this seller, him or herself, bring value to the interaction? So if a person doesn't sound credible, doesn't, and by the way, they're, they're really looking for exceptional credibility, somebody who's standing out from the crowd, not just somebody who sounds professional, but somebody mm-hmm. who is bringing ideas and insights and information that are um, of interest to them, that pique their curiosity. Those are the kind of people they want to meet with as opposed to somebody who just sounds like they're a professional. So they're listening for that, and they're right away tuning in, like within the first sentence of a message that you might leave. And also in every presentation or proposal or whatever, do you sound like you're bringing value? And finally, they're saying, is this complex or is this simple? So the S stands for simple. And they can't handle complexity. And when you are crazy, busy, complexity grinds you to a screeching halt. Even an email that asks you to take three different actions is overwhelming. And they put it in their archive box or their inbox to save it to get back to later. And I know I've done this myself when I've had people, uh, vendors, work with me and they say, Jill, I need you know, information on these three things. It's like three things sends me into overwhelm. One thing I <laughs> yes. can respond to immediately. Do you know what I'm talking about from that perspective? Yes. That mm-hmm. three things, and you go, oh, I can't just quickly handle that right now. So you put it aside to get back to it, and you don't get back to it. So anyway, mm-hmm. the um, simplicity is really important in, in our role in helping people simplify the complex decisions, because many of us are involved in complex decisions with uh, lots of people involved. What are the three decision-making stages? They have two separate decisions, I would say. Now, we, I'm talking three today, but I used to see two separate decisions. And the third one I added on in the last couple of years. The first decision they make is to allow access. If you're sitting behind your desk and somebody's trying to see you, you are trying to gain a little bit of their time. So they make a decision to allow you access. But from then on, the decision switches the big decision that they make, what I call the second decision, is the decision to change from the status quo. Should they initiate change or should they stay the same? And by the way, they really would prefer to stay the same. 90%, 95% of the people we're contacting today as sellers really would prefer to stay the same, even if what they're using is not good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The reality of it is it's at least a beast that they know, the devil that they have. And even if the vendor or the technology or whatever they're using is not perfect and doesn't help them, the way they want. They know its flaws. They know how to work around it. They know how to deal with it. The thought of making a decision is overwhelming because 
in any organization today. It's never just one person who makes a decision. It's always a committee decision at some level, and they try to spread the risk by getting multiple people involved in the corporation. That takes tons of time and analysis. Should we be changing? Shouldn't we be changing? You know, they're, they're afraid they have to justify it to somebody, so they have to know for sure if it's going to make sense to change. Again, because they're under scrutiny, they have to look at multiple vendors in many cases because they have to prove that they made the best decision for the organization. So that's why, if at all possible, they want to screen you out. So that's the hardest decision to get made. But anybody who can work with somebody at that particular decision is really in the driver's seat for the third decision, which is the decision to select resources. And that's where they call people in to do presentations. They request proposals. Um, they ask about pricing. You know, that's when all that type of thing happens in the negotiation. But the reality of it is the the essence of selling occurs in the second decision where you can be the expert who helps them find better ways to run their business and operation, their department, their division, whatever it is, and bringing them the ideas and insights that can give them a quantum leap forward so that they can eliminate the problems and meet their goals. The essence of selling takes place in the, at the second phase? The essence of selling takes place in that second decision. That's, that's where the real power sellers are setting themselves apart. They are not going after the low-hanging fruit. They are going after the people who are living with things that they're dissatisfied with but are just too busy to change. And they're helping them understand why they should change now, the value of making that change, how it will really help them get to their objectives. And they're working to simplify the process with them there, too, because, again, you don't want to make a change if it's complex and you don't know how to make the change. And so many people and organizations today, especially if you're involved in the complex sale, they've never made decisions on that particular software, service, product, et cetera, before because of all the transition. So a smart seller will help them think about what they need to think about because they honestly don't know how to do it. They are unskilled decision makers at many of the decisions. And it's like me trying to evaluate the, the different plans from all the Internet vendors. I'm not a tech guru, and I, they give me all these plans, and I kind of look at them, my eyes glaze over, and I go, I have a clue. <laughs> Huge for B2B tech companies because they're all doing content marketing, and they're all putting content out there. Artis Albi was just saying, and I know you know her very well, and your, your work is very complementary to each other. She was just saying that a lot of what she sees is late-stage decision content. You're saying we really need to emphasize getting out there early when people might not even know they have a problem. And that's really difficult. Yes. I think from a content marketing standpoint, they may not be aware how big the problem is, but they are aware and they're out there searching, you know, they're searching for issues with and challenges with and they're trying to get they're trying to research online. They they don't want to call in a salesperson because that person that they bring in jumps to the third decision and starts talking about all their cool stuff, you know, their unique methodologies and and state-of-the-art, leading-edge, profound, whatever it is. So they would rather go online to do searching, and they will be searching for the issues. The content has to deal with the issues. Let's go back and focus on a specific buyer and the risks and the fears and their drive for status quo. Let's recap some of the things that are on a B2B prospect's mind. Well, the first decision is really the fear of that they'll waste their time. So it's a, a minute fear because they don't want to allow people into their world who are going to talk at them. 
and waste mm-hmm. their precious time because they really think that, that their time is the most important thing. The second decision fears are really just getting all that buy-in and, how, you know, just it's, ugh, it's overwhelming to make the change. And, and they just hate to go through the whole change process and getting the commitment from the organization to go away from the status quo. And they've got all those people mm-hmm. who have all these perspectives about should we stay or shouldn't we, and oh, I like this one. Or, and so that's what they're fighting internally, and that, that change process is huge. And then they fear, again, the, the sheer amount of time and complexity it's going to take and how much extra work that they're going to have to do to learn about the stuff in order to make a good decision. Mm-hmm. You worry about that too. Even going out looking for a car, don't you go on a, to research what people are saying about cars? It's a big expense, and so you want to make sure that it's that you're well researched. And, and again, you don't have a lot of time. This is what their fears are: the time, the time, the the buy-in, the hassle, the complexity. The oh, I just can't figure it all out. It just doesn't make sense. I think I'll just stay with this less than perfect solution because at least I get it. The third decision is, yep, we're going to change which one is going to work. And they've already decided to make the change. And that's the difference between the second decision and the third decision. Assuming that they're in the third decision, they're really risk averse these days. With so many downsizings and reorganizations of of companies, but every decision is really scrutinized right now. And um, even um, even the price point of the decision is scrutinized. So a company may have looked at all decisions over 25,000 beforehand and, and allowed people to make decisions under 25,000 without any executive approval, but now it's gone down maybe to 10,000. I mean, there's just been the reduction. So every decision right now is being scrutinized. So people are really fearful of making the wrong decision. They're really fearful of not uh, having it give the ROI that they were expecting and deliver the results that they had. They're fearful about if the vendor is going to be in business or not. I, in my book, I talk about the Mack truck. I don't know if you remember that example. That's a small business issue. I, when I first started my training company, uh, lost a decision to another vendor because of a Mack truck. And I said to the guy, what does a Mack truck have to do with why I'm not getting the business when you told me that my solution was better and that you thought I had, you know, that I would, you thought everything I was bringing to the table was fresher, more up to date and, and much more valuable and yet you're choosing this other vendor. And the guy looked at me and he said, Jill, if you got hit by a Mack truck tomorrow, our entire sales training program would fall apart. He said, I can't risk that. And so because wow. we have so many small businesses right now who are selling to the corporate market, that is something that they're afraid of. Is this, gonna, is this person going to be around or is this company going to be around tomorrow? And that's an issue that small businesses face. So there's just all this angst that they go on. Is, is it the right decision? Will I look foolish in front of my people? Will it deliver the results? And is it going to be a headache? And are people going to be complaining to me? Am I going to get, you know, heck from my staff because they hate it and they love the old way still? Nobody wants to deal with all that. Mm-hmm. I want to add that the structure of your book, it really adds a perfect step-by-step for people who want to understand these, the snap factors, the decision-making stages. So we're only going to touch on some of the highlights. I want to touch on some ways that marketers can interact better with prospects during the different buying stages. I love this comment you have about creating a spark of possibility for others to share. What do you love about it? For one thing, everybody wants that. Everybody wants a partner. One of my favorite books is The Trusted Advisor, and I want to work with people that way. So that really struck me. Mm-hmm. 
And, and what about the spark of possibility? What, what, what makes you excited about that? I think it resonated with me personally because I like to work that way. And as a content marketer, it resonated with me because it's so powerful. It's a powerful way to reach people. Yeah. I really like, I really like sparking possibilities in people and helping them see what's possible. Um, I really believe that one of the best things we can do as sellers and certainly as marketers is help people see a, a different way that it might be within their organization because they really don't have, uh, what's that called, that tunnel vision where they can only see what's going on right in front of their organization. And so many of these people, we assume that they're so smart and savvy, and, and they are smart and savvy people, but they don't get out a lot. And they really, they're working 60, 70 hours a week, and if they travel, it's to their own company for their own company functions, they rarely go to conferences where they get a lot of unique ideas to fill them up and have them see things in new ways. And so they don't have a vision of what's possible necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's really important and one of the biggest values that we can bring is help them to see different alternatives and different ways that they can look at the future and perhaps achieve their desired end result that they didn't even know could be achieved. And to me, that's always the most fun to spark that possibility with them and they go, oh, oh, that's interesting. It's you know, very positive. Go, oh, yeah, you want, to, you want them to get them interested and they go, mm, that's interesting. Tell me more. I mean, to me, that's the most exciting thing when somebody says, tell me more. <laughs> What's funny when I say that is I've taught people people how to, to get them interested and to get them engaged with the, with the idea of what's possible in their organization. But what I find typically happens with sellers, by the way, if they do learn how to get that, you know, ignite that possibility, what I typically happen, see happens is they fall back into their old patterns way too soon. They say, somebody says, tell me more, and they go, oh, let me tell you about my company. We were started in 1997 by John Lawson. <laughs> And, and he had come out of Oracle, and he decided that they needed this and that. And they go into this long, horrible, detailed explanation when they don't understand that the prospect didn't ask them that question. I mean, they, they thought they heard that question one way, like that they thought they heard the prospect, prospect would say, oh, tell me about your company, you know, when they said, tell me more. But the real thing is the customer or the prospect wants to hear the story. How did that happen? How did that happen? It's a story that's really important. So go back to marketers and what they can do. It's it's the story. People want to see what's possible and they want to see how other people are doing things. They want to hear about the problems that these companies were facing or these organizations were facing and and how how life was miserable and, and and now what's possible? And that makes them excited to see that there's mm-hmm. hope and a way for change. It's kind of like when I was a kid growing up, there was a, a magazine that my mother always used to get that had a, it had a feature in it called, Can This Marriage Be Saved? And, <laughs> and it was a wonderful thing. I mean, it was one thing I read every time, you know, every issue my mother got, I think it was Ladies Home Journal, Can This Marriage Be Saved? And they'd be, they'd be interviewing a couple and they'd be talking about how terrible their marriage was and they'd get uh-huh. his side and then they'd get her side and then can this marriage be saved? And they'd kind of leave you dangling. But I think that these people really want to know that there is something that can be done. They want to learn ideas. They really will rely on, on vendors, actually, marketers, who produce content that is real, that is mm-hmm. um, yes. the true story about 
how people are dealing with things. And, and that includes the mom. They don't want to read about the solution at all. They don't want to hear mm-hmm. about everything about your product. And, you know, they don't want to hear that they, they used our unique methodology and we came in and we consulted with them and we did a needs analysis that took a month and then we put together a proposal, you know, a, an action plan and we implemented it. It was a six month implementation and they don't want to hear that. That complicates things. I mean, think of it. That kind of thing is complicated. It's, oh, my God, they did a thorough needs assessment. <gasps> when, you're, when you haven't decided to switch, the fact that somebody does a thorough needs assessment just sounds like, oh, my God, they're going to come into our company. They're going to tie up all our people's time. They're going to do all this <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. So you need to leave out the whole process stuff from these things and just say, you know, we worked with them, and after doing a needs assessment and this, we were able to install a system. And as a result, they moved they have these outcomes. And then when they see that, they go, oh, that's really cool. But you don't have to give them the gory details of everything that you did or the full system that you installed with them and all the technology and every single add-on that you gave them. I mean, that's boring. That's complex. That's selling. That's not informing, engaging, exciting, or anything. You think it's exciting because you want to talk about your stuff, but... From their perspective, as somebody who hasn't decided to switch, they really don't care what is it that made that change. They just want to know, here's, here's this marriage before this intervention, then there's this intervention, and then here's how they are now. And they're happy, and their marriage has been saved. You know, that's what they want. Check out part two of our interview with Jill Conrath, author of Snap Selling and Selling to Big Companies. You have been listening to IT Market Buzz with your host, Kimberly Duran. Please visit our sponsors at www.copypunch.com. 